This is Seeker. Listen up. We've got to get in, grab the Iguanodon, and get out before that asteroid hits. Let's roll! Today, you can visit Neverland. Oh, Walter, don't pull my leg. <laughs> Okay, the director's ready, talent's ready, cue the opening. Hello my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 604, and I'm here once again not only to help you have the best vacation experience when you get to the Disney parks, but I also want to bring you some of that Disney magic wherever you are with the podcast, my live video broadcast on Facebook every Wednesday night, books, audio tours, and more, whether it's your first time visiting or you've been hundreds of times. If you're planning your vacation or just love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there's something in the show for you because each week I'm going to take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between. If you're a new listener, thank you, welcome. Please go back and check out some or all the past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. Please subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and find everything else at www.radio.com. So this week we're going to continue our look at the weird, wild, interesting, and downright bizarre things that have happened and existed in Walt Disney World's history. This week we'll visit the Disney MGM slash Disney's Hollywood Studios, Disney's Animal Kingdom, and venture outside the parks to the Disney Village Marketplace and Pleasure Island. We'll also see how much you remember, never experienced, or can't believe you ever actually saw. And of course, I'm going to ask you to share some of your personal memories as well. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. And be sure and stay tuned because I want to talk about something that you did that is special and remarkable before the end of the show with some announcements, updates, your voicemails, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Before we get started, I want to take just a minute of your time because I need to share something with you. I mentioned last week on the show that my mom had passed and the incredible outpouring of love and support was unlike I had anything experienced before that was until Wednesday night when during the live show, I was surprised by a knock on the door and I opened it. My wife was there as well as a mystery guest hiding in the shadows. My friend Lisa Denoto glasner from thecastlerun.com came in and explained to me at that time that completely unbeknownst to me and my entire family wanted to honor my mom and my family and her memory in a meaningful way. She felt that in, in keeping with my belief and philosophy of choosing the good, that doing something for others was the best way to do it. She knows of our collective relationship with Make-A-Wish and how important that is to me and my family. And 
Lisa decided on her own to reach out to make a wish to start a fundraising campaign in the hopes of raising $10,000, which would adopt a family and sponsor their trip in full to Walt Disney World in my mom's name, really in furtherance of what we collectively have done for and with Make-A-Wish through our Dream Team project. And as I found out during the live show when this was revealed to me, um, Lisa very much had confidence in the community that we would easily reach that $10,000 goal. And on Wednesday night, we had already eclipsed that. And you had raised, again, without my knowledge, uh, you'd raised more than $14,000. And I was overcome and overwhelmed with emotion, um, just as I am now, really trying to keep it together, just so you know. What I and she and and I don't think anybody knew was from there just how this community and this family would come together. And at the time of this recording on Monday, September 28th, just about seven days after this had started, um, nearly $50,000 has been raised, um, which is going to send, when we hit that mark, five children and their families to Walt Disney World. Um, You talk about making a difference, not just choosing the good, but being the good. You have changed literally the lives of five families who I think now more than ever really need that magic and you have changed my life as well. And I could easily go on and on about what I feel and what this means. And and look, it's not about the money. It's not about the dollar amount. It really is about what we've been talking about since day one, community and friendship and family. And it's the words I use since I launched my very first site. And those words carry so much more weight and meaning now because what you've done, not just in the past 16 years of this community and this show's existence, but really in the past few days is beyond remarkable and I cannot thank Lisa and you enough Um, I am grateful in ways that I am still now not able to put into where I cannot articulate how I feel but I hope that you know and realize and smile about what you have done and the real tangible positive difference that you've made in this world and I think at a time that not only is it really needed most but I think the gifts that you have given shine even brighter and I am humbled and 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 thankful and I know my mom and dad are looking down and they are smiling and proud and thank you as well um, you do not only choose the good you are the good And please forgive me if I have not been able to thank you personally and individually as yet. Um, I promise I I will try to and I will continue to for the rest of my life. Um, This is a moment and this is a time that I will never, ever forget. And if there's anything that I can do for you, please let me know. If you want to find out more about this fundraising campaign and a direct link to Make-A-Wish, you can visit wdwradio.com slash dreamwishes. That'll take you right to the donation page. 
You can also watch a replay of last week's live video, and I'm actually going to post a an abbreviated version just to give you an idea of what happened that night um, when Lisa came in and surprised me. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you. My heart and my hugs go out to you. You have done something beautiful and wonderful and special, and for that, I will forever be grateful. Man, it's just a really tough, awkward transition to get into the show, but we're going to continue where we left off last week as we leave Magic Kingdom and Epcot and go to the Disney MGM slash Hollywood Studios, Disney's Animal Kingdom, and beyond the parks to the Lake Buena Vista Village, Pleasure Island, and more of the weird, wild, and just plain wacky things that we've seen, heard, and experienced in Walt Disney World. Enjoy. But let's move from the futuristic and wild and wacky non-synergistic Epcot Center over to, to the Disney MGM Studios where this is, I think, the place we are going to mention some names and some intellectual properties. You're going to go, no, no, Lou, you've got that confused. That There's no way... That happened in Walt Disney World. And for the first one, I'm going to go with something that I had to check and double check to make sure this really did happen. Was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Play It was not the first game show in MGM Studios. And not only was it not the first one, but there was one that the guests could visit as an attraction, but was also filmed on property. And this is a show that exists on TV today, but the original was many decades before and that would be let's make a deal and the original let's make a deal had monty hall but when it got to be the late 80s and 90s they wanted to do a revival of let's make a deal they had a new host named bob hilton and they decided to film this at mgm studios and they would have certain days of the week where they would film episodes but then at the times when they were not filming episodes for live tv then guests from the park could go in and cast members would take the place of the host and the announcer and the prize presenters and and guests would have the opportunity to play for prizes of their own. And But there was kind of an audition process that you could go through if you wanted to be selected to play. And if you were picked, then you would be given one of the crazy costumes that everyone wears on Let's Make a Deal so that you would fit in. And they had some legitimate prizes for people. I mean, you could win the Swan had just opened. So you could win a three night stay at the Walt Disney world Swan. You could win a, uh, a cruise, which was not on the Disney cruise line. Cause that didn't exist yet, but it was a three day cruise with Disney's cruising partner. There were a Rebus brothers statues. There was um, some other prize sponsors were Delta and M&Ms and Mars and Goodyear and others. But it turned out they actually did film 65 episodes with Bob Hilton as the host. And then like another 63 where Monty Hall came back and hosted. And those all did go to air on NBC. And I, unfortunately, I, I've never seen it. I, I never saw it when I was there. And I would have been very curious because, again, the Disney MGM studios were meant to be studios. The idea was that you were walking on to, you know, on stage and then backstage of a real working production facility, which obviously it never really sort of grew to become as much as, as they wanted it to sort of make it be, you know, the East Coast version of, of Hollywood. But there were a lot of these type of shows that were 
familiar that were being aired there or taped there or at least recreated there to give guests a sense of what it was like um, as these shows were being filmed. And I did play Millionaire, play it a number of times, and I was so close to getting in the hot seat but never quite made it, which still to this day is a source of frustration. Um, Yeah, I never had the fastest figure. (laughs) You know, I I almost, I, I don't know where to go next because my list of wacky and wild things that I can't believe ever happened there is relatively extensive, probably more so than any other park in Walt Disney World. So I'm just going to randomly pick one out of the hat. And this is, and I mentioned this one because this is probably the one that when I talk about it with people or if I'm walking through the studios and say, oh, this is what, you know, used to be here. When I say that Goosebumps was at one point part of Walt Disney World, they're like, no, no, you mean that other place down the street. And I'm like, no, the Goosebumps Horrorland Fright Show was an attraction at the studios that ran from October 97 to November of 1998 on the streets of America. And it's funny because so many guests were like, no, this couldn't have been here. This is a false memory would like write or tweet to the Goosebumps author R.L. Stein, who tweeted out, he said, yeah, it's true. The Goosebumps attraction was a thrill for me, and I couldn't even believe that I had my own attraction and land in Walt Disney World. And I was not a huge Goosebumps, you know, I was a little bit older for, for Goosebumps, but for a lot of people that remember the stories in the show, they loved it. And what it was is this this character came out uh, much like the tv show from what i understand with a man in you know dressed in all black with a black mask and a black trench coat and a black hat sort of it sounds like spider-man noir to me who would walk in with a suitcase and they'd play the theme song and then there would be this magic act by amazo the magician who would call in up kids from the audience to do this show and it would go on for this, um, you know, a full show would be put on. And then there would be, in addition to the Fright Show, there was also a fun house. And it was this maze, like a like a house of mirrors that was supposedly pretty easy at the beginning and then later updated to make a little bit more challenging for people. And you'd also find characters along the way as you made through it. So there was this sort of large goosebumps presence on the streets of America, which at the time really needed some attention to it. Again, remember what the studios was and as it has, you know, really sort of evolved over the years, when it first opened, there wasn't a lot to do. And other than sort of the, you know, very long up to really two hour, um, you know, backlot experience, some parts of the park did not have as much to see or do. There were were no real attractors to it, but I think what happened with this is I think the timing was just a little bit late because when this debuted in in the late nineties, the Goosebumps series was really starting to come to an end, and even the TV show was starting to reach the end of its life as well. Uh, you wonder, you know, if there would have been more of the Goosebumps franchise itself how much more they could have done with this how much more popular it might have been and how much longer it might have stayed yeah i vividly remember the goosebumps books 
when I was in school, there everyone read a, read the books, um, but it was not something I was into. So I remember this being at the park, but we we never stopped to watch it. But something that I was really into um, was Doug Funny, and Doug was not originally a Disney character. I I was introduced to Doug on Nickelodeon, like most kids of the '90s, and Doug was was a, a teenager who liked to draw and he had his own he wrote his own comics with quail man and and um i i love this cartoon and eventually uh, nickelodeon it kind of faded on there and disney bought it and it became part of the saturday morning block for abc and at that time the synergy um it was brought to mgm studios as doug live and when it made its transition into a live show, the endearing characters of Doug and Patty and Skeeter and Roger Klotz and Porkchop the dog were not quite as endearing looking in their stage show format, which is kind of funny because as doing research for this, I found that there were walk around characters of Doug and Patty. I never saw these, but in photos I saw those characters look exactly like the cartoon so it's kind of funny that they didn't just choose to use those on the stage they were those you know were like full costumed characters versus on the stage they were adults with i mean the characters on doug were different colors they weren't all skin toned colors so they put on a lot of makeup and very crazy hair and things for this show but um it was a short stage show at mgm and um, it involved a, a sequence with Quail Man and it had Doug trying to ask Patty out on a date and like all of the things that people loved about the Doug cartoon. So I hate to admit that not only did I never see the show, but I've never seen a second of the Doug cartoon <laughs> ever. Um, again, I was a little bit older, so it's why I missed it uh, and, did, and never even had kids at that time to see it because um, Doug was what 90 99 it was it was yeah earlier 90s on Nickelodeon and then late 90s for for ABC so I the one the, the one slash ones that I want to mention and, and I'm not going to go into it too much because I did a full episode on it back on show 251 but talking about characters that may look similar to but not necessarily exactly like what you remember seeing them on TV. There was at one point a huge pronounced and ongoing presence of the Muppets in Walt Disney World. And if you go back to show number 251, it was a look at the Muppets in Walt Disney World looking back and then some predictions in terms of looking forward because there were a number of different shows. So, for example, one of them was Here Come the Muppets that debuted in in May 1990 to um, sort of hold guests over while they were building Muppet Vision 3D, although the two actually ran consecutively for the same time. Um, there was... It was located in the end of the walking portion of what was the backstage studio tour. Um, And uh, it was about a a 15-minute show, but the characters were portrayed in these giant 
life size, like not Muppet size, like human size. Ah, hiya, hiya. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Costumes that had, um, you know, mouths that actually articulated. There was also another show called Muppets on Location, The Days of Swine and Roses. That took place um, closer to the back of the back lot, like by where Mama Melrose's is. So there was a number of different shows that were there, and including some of the shows that actually were um, shown on TV. There was like a Muppets at Walt Disney World TV special. And and again, I don't want to go too much in too much down this rabbit hole of there was this this large Muppet presence. And I think what was expected to be, Kendall, a, a, a longer-term, ongoing presence of the Muppets. What I remember about it particularly was seeing those giant, very strange-looking Muppet characters walking around because it's not something that we remember seeing really on TV or even on Sesame Street. But as somebody who enjoyed... The Muppets, I, I still to this day, and to a certain degree, don't understand why there still hasn't been a, a much greater presence of the Muppets in Walt Disney World. And maybe we'll do a, a deeper dive in terms of the the past and the current state of where the Muppets are. Um, well, you know, now obviously there's a new show on Disney Plus, but you know, what what. What would we think about seeing the Muppets returning in some sort of a new updated show at Disney's Hollywood Studios? Yeah, you're saying that about the characters being larger. It is kind of funny, like, because they do. It, it seems very weird to see Miss Piggy and Kermit that big. But it's no different than Mickey being that big when you meet right. him. So I'm not I'm not sure why in, like, in your brain it just seems so off that Kermit's that big. Yeah, I mean, a couple other shows that maybe I won't dive as deep in shows or meet and greets that happened at MGM studios, like, um, dinosaurs live from, from the nineties, late eighties, early nineties show dinosaurs, uh, power Rangers used to come rolling into town. And then one that my husband just is so bummed that he missed the Ninja turtles (laughs) rolled into MGM studios and, I'm not sure really why that partnership ever existed because they, I mean, they weren't owned by Disney. They weren't, I mean, in researching, I couldn't figure out why they decided to have that license that. I mean, I guess they just thought it was popular at the time and nobody else had taken advantage of it maybe. But then also well, wait, there so were at one on time. The, oh, so quickly about oh, the turtles, sort of to, to answer that point. Cause I do remember this show and i was like wait a minute did somebody tell disney that they don't own the turtles right they you know but it was it was actually this really cool show that that took place um you know back and around new york street and april o'neill was there and it was it was a short show but i remember it being performed multiple times throughout the day and and i think that they were there for maybe close to 5 years or so and they were actually replaced. And I don't know if it was replaced right away, but I do, maybe this, and forgive me if this is where you're going, by uh, the Power Rangers, which was, again, not a um, not a, a Disney property. I think, actually, I think the Power Rangers were, you'd have to look it up and double check me, but I think they were purchased by Disney for a 
very brief period of time because they were part of the Saturday morning block when I was a kid um, that was on ABC. And then I I feel like I heard oh, somewhere right, that they, bought they, Fox, they were owned they bought the by the Fox original. Family Channel. That's what it was. They bought Fox yeah. Family Channel in, in the early aughts. Yeah, and I... I I'm pretty sure I heard somewhere that they that the the original creator of the Power Rangers sold them to Disney very briefly and then now has purchased them back. So, I well, you know, and I think that they're I think that the Turtles and the Power Rangers, just as an as an aside, I think they were interesting because I think what did that? I think they were indicators of the fact that Disney felt, look, we don't have the attractors for and I'm not to sort of overgeneralize but understand for teenage and young boys we don't have the princesses we don't there, were, there was no pirates back then they saw that there was an, a need a gap to fill by having quote unquote superheroes in the park which I think was probably they probably saw the success of that and the interest in that and said we need to get we need to fill that void and then a number of years later is a reason why they acquired – I mean, not only because of the Turtles, but obviously probably helped to convince them that they needed to acquire something like Marvel. Yeah, that is an interesting thought because those both – I mean, Power Rangers and Ninja Turtles were very popular at the time. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just I, – I say that about being surprising just with Ninja Turtles, especially like considering today those are owned by Nickelodeon and and, you know – just totally outside of the Disney brand. But I'm sure that at the time that was probably a fairly big get for them and probably just as attractive as Barbie was to me. The the one uh, other character I was going to mention there, and just by name only that Tom and Jerry were actually walk around characters for a while. Tom, Tom, the cat and Jerry, the mouse, because they were owned by MGM. And from what I can understand, it was just a very brief little like, promotional thing when the Tom and Jerry movie came out in the nineties. And there's just a couple photos out there. You can find um, one, I think is actually like a compilation photo of multiple properties that were in MGM at the time. But I don't think there was anything else involved with them. Just that they were, they were walking around for people to meet kind of back by honey. I shrunk the, the kids. I never knew that. I love Tom and, and, and kids. You're going to have to Google who Tom and Jerry were, but it was a cat and mouse um, cartoon. I love Tom and Jerry as a kid, and I never knew that they were at the studios. Yeah, I couldn't find how long they were there, so it was probably like a you know blinking you missed it kind of thing. You know, so when we were just talking about superheroes at the park, um, I, I think that there were two other superheroes that very much bear mentioning. And I'm saying superheroes tongue in cheek because. I could not believe, well, I guess I could because of what they hoped it would become. But do you remember Dick Tracy? Calling Dick Tracy! Calling Dick Tracy! The Balonian Diamond has just been stolen from the museum! Calling Dick Tracy! I'm on my way. And his Diamond Double Cross spectacular 30-minute production, which was based on the film starring Warren Beatty and Madonna that they thought was going to be like the next big franchise. Um, They, you know, this is a film that Disney put a lot of money and marketing power behind. They, um, they even got this, um, 
this particular project in terms of the Diamond Double Cross show into the theater of the stars very quickly because this was part of this launching of the... The, the Disney decade, and they not only had it here, but they had a show that was performed at Videopolis in Disneyland. But these, they were both very, very short-lived. Um, I know the Walt Disney World one lasted less than a year, and I think the Disneyland one lasted even less time. And I think we did a show where we looked at some of the extinct stage shows of Walt Disney World. Um, I'll, I'll put a link to it or just you can search for it in your podcast app or on the WWE Radio website where we talk a little bit more about Dick T- Tracy and the Diamond Double Cross show. But did you also know that there was another stunt show, a small one, that came about in 1995 to promote another film and that took place on the New York area backlot a few times a day it was not made by Disney. It was a character that was completely licensed from Morgan Creek Productions. And it was Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. <laughs> like everything else, live in action. And... This is the, this was another one that I remember seeing once and only once with my parents, and there was sort of this quizzical look, like, I, you know, I I dug the film and I like Jim Carrey, but why this and why here? Okay, I just like to start out by saying I'm a big fan of yours, and it's an honor for me to meet you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you very much, Kibble. Uh, no thanks. Alrighty then. Uh, A's, uh, MC. I'd like to ask you a few questions if that's all right. Your request is not unlike your lower intestine. Stinky and loaded with danger. <laughs> Biscuit? Uh, Biscuit. And I won't go sort of into, you know, all the details of the production, but, you know, he was looking for this. Uh, there was actually a couple of different versions of it. There was the original one, and then there was when the, um, there was, I think, another one where he was looking for the bat um, from the, the One Nature Calls movie. Um, there were some props and and whatnot on display here. But I always thought that Ace Ventura, again, like a lot of these, you know, look, we're talking about Ace Ventura, Ninja Turtles, Power Rangers, Dick Tracy. I haven't even gotten to Hollywood's Pretty Woman yet and Goosebumps. These are all ones that don't necessarily we associate with not just Disney, but certainly not any other theme parks as well. Yeah, I mean, I, you have to look at MGM Studios as a product of Michael Eisner, and if nothing else, he was he he wanted to bring in everything from everywhere and and make everything relate to everything else, and and so yeah, ca- capitalizing <laughs> on what was big at the time and and trying to bring crowds in or. But yeah, I mean, it's Ace Ventura is definitely a curious one. And I think a lot I mean, of it was these, very it was a very popular movie, right? But and I think a lot of these were, were experiments too, right? So there was another show called Remember Hollywood's Pretty Woman? I do not. Okay, so it's not the the Richard Gere. It's not that Pretty Woman. Trust me, this was a show that that premiered at the Theater of the Stars, um, before. 
Beauty and the Beast live on stage. It replaced, it was actually sort of replaced Dick Tracy's Diamond Double Cross. And this was only around for just over a month. And I just have a feeling that it was not meant to be sort of a stopgap show. But because of who it starred, it was meant to be something that was bigger and just maybe did not resonate with guests because it starred Roger Rabbit who at the time, and we've talked about this in the past in, ter- in terms of Roger Rabbit in the parks, Roger Rabbit for Michael Eisner was meant to be his Mickey Mouse. Like there are pictures of, of Michael Eisner sort of arm in arm with Roger on one side and Mickey on the other. Like he was going to be the the next sort of big character for Disney, which is why he had a, a, a planned huge presence in the park. But in this show, Roger Rabbit was a... He now was a, a famous producer from Maroon Studios. Hiya, folks. Welcome to Club Hollywood. Today, me and my pals are putting on a play all about the glamorous stars of Hollywood. <laughs> Jeepers! Hey! Anybody know where Club Hollywood is? place called Club Hollywood and the proprietors were Mickey, Minnie and Goofy and they were trying to impress Roger with their salute to the women of Hollywood. So there were salutes to Judy Garland and Ginger Rogers and Carmen Miranda and Madonna. Okay, it's the 90s and there was this, you know, huge finale ending but it did only last a very short period of time and you don't know if this was a stopgap show just to sort of fill that space because Beauty and the Beast was coming or was this meant to be a test of Roger Rabbit in the parks? Um, Can this character draw enough of a crowd? How does Roger interact and work with, at this time it was the Fab Three, but, you know, with sort of these, these iconic Disney characters? Yeah, that's interesting. And it does kind of make you wonder timing wise was part of it, too, just because of the dispute with Amblin over or was it Amblin or just specifically Steven Spielberg with regards to the Roger Rabbit character. And that might have played into how long it lasted as well. And the only other thing I have left from um, Disney MGM slash Hollywood Studios, um, and I I only have one photo that I have ever been able to find of it that actually somebody sent me. And, you know, now we have Galaxy's Edge and we had, um, you know, when Star Tours came to the park, um, it was a huge, huge deal. And I think for a lot of people, one of the things that we always hoped and wished for both at or near Star Tours, and certainly when Galaxy's Edge opened, look, we've all wished that we could walk into the Moss Eisley Cantina from the original Star Wars. It was such an iconic um, scene, and we wanted to stand at that bar and, and dine with all those characters. And yes, Oga's Cantina is is a watered-down, different type of version. But at one time, for a very, 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 very short period of time, there actually was a Moss Eisley Cantina at Disney's Hollywood Studios. You're looking at me like I'm a crazy person again, but it's true. It was a temporary structure that was built 
only for the grand opening ceremonies of Star Tours. It was there for just one day, January 14th, 1990. But they had this, not full-size, but sort of this backdrop-size replica of the Moss Eisley Cantina, and Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes played at that premiere, and I think that has to be their first appearance ever at a Disney park or probably anywhere else. Mark Hamill was there. Carrie Fisher was there. Darth Vader, of course, did not. Darth Vader was like, it was like Maleficent, was upset that he wasn't invited. He showed up as well. But yeah, so at one point we actually did have a Moss Eisley Cantina in or around Star Tours. I imagine people are like rushing to YouTube right now to see if there's <laughs> right. videos of this. I will uh, I will post the photo over in the show notes over at www.radio.com. Um, anything else at studios? Hey, you exhausted my list. I'm exhausting. I get that a lot. My mother used to say that a lot, <laughs> that I was exhausting. Um, what about over at Disney's Animal Kingdom? I... I just have one personal memory from Disney's Animal Kingdom, and that would be the boats to nowhere. <laughs> the Discovery River boats. <laughs> I remember our first trip to Animal Kingdom, and we, I think we rode the safaris first, maybe, Kilimanjaro Safari. We might have we got Bugs Life in there, too, and then we saw a bunch of people over on a pier waiting for a boat, so we got in line, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. They took a very long time to load and a very long time to come back. And we finally got on a boat and we thought we were going to see something grand and spectacular. And we saw plants and water and plants and more water. And and we came upon a pier and we did not get off. And we made our way back to the original pier and we got off on the Discovery River boats that did not last for very long because people were very frustrated by the the non the the non-stopping at the other pier, the nothing happening on the boat. <laughs> yeah, and again, not to sort of go too deep into this because we have talked about this on, on past shows when talking about um, extinct Disney's Animal Kingdom, but this too, not only did it not know what it wanted to be, but guests never knew. Was it a transportation vehicle? Was it was it a, a ride to somewhere? Was it meant to be entertainment? And it was none of those things. Like, it never really did anything to sort of just go in a giant circle and didn't really show you very much. Then they tried to make it the Radio Disney River Cruise and had commentary from DJs like Zippy and Just Plain Mark. I have no idea who those even are. Um, And they were, I remember they were being told like, oh, there's a radio station being broadcast from the top of the Tree of Life, which obviously nobody ever believed. Um, But I mean, they did have animals on at one time to try and make the cruise somewhat interesting and then they changed the 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 docks that the radio disney cruise was going to but again it was it was a ride of disappointment like guests were just disappointed for one reason or another uh, and i think for me too that was the only one really that i had from disney's animal kingdom in terms of i i couldn't believe they ever never really had the right strategy for what to do, which is a shame because the views from the cruise were beautiful, but it, I don't think that they were leveraged appropriately. So do you have anything from outside the parks that you can't believe ever happened? I actually do. I, I am a 
unabashed, unashamed lover of the Polynesian resort. If you were to come to my house, there is Polynesian all over. It influences our decor. I, it's, I, it's my home away from home. And I was surprised to learn that early on in the resort's history, the luau was held outside on the beach. No cover, no, just they had the chairs and things set up out on the beach and that was where everyone performed before the Luau Cove was finished. It was a lot cooler back then, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine sitting, I mean, obviously it's the evening, so hopefully they had it timed right to be closer to sunset. But yeah, I can't imagine sitting on the heat of that beach to watch the Luau. Which I, I have I have done a number of times, never, never outside. Um, certainly not in the heat of the summer. Uh, although I will see your luau and I will raise you the Eastern Winds Chinese junk, which at one point was docked outside um, at the um, at the marina of Walt Disney World, and the Eastern Winds was this 65-foot Chinese junk. It's a, it's a type of a, of a sailboat docked there for about seven years that you could actually charter. Um, and there was a galley on board. There was a full bar. And when you chartered it, it actually had uh, like a chef and a server and a, and a bartender. And you can go out and take these little, you know, nighttime cruises with, with food and drinks. Um, according to story, from what I understand, it was at one point sold after it was retired to Joe Namath, like Broadway Joe of the New York Jets. Um, and then actually, I won't go into to too much detail, but I have a full article that I'll link to on the WW Radio blog about whatever became of this boat, um, because it did eventually make um, make its way down to St. Thomas and the, the Virgin Islands for some. So you can still ride on the Eastern winds uh, from Walt Disney world, but you'll have to go down to St. Thomas in order to do it. I, I do actually have another one, not only from outside the parks, but from outside property, according to the internet, this did not exist, but I know for 100% <laughs> sure that it did because my family, we were drivers. We did not fly. So we, every trip we made, we drove the 18 hours one way to Walt Disney World, and we could not wait to hit the Florida line and start seeing information for the Florida Welcome Center. Well, hit the line, go to the Florida Welcome Center, leave the Welcome Center, and then see the billboards for the Disney Information Center, And which is kind of a forgotten memory for a lot of people all on its own because it's been gone for probably... 15 years at this point but once you left the the disney information center between there and the turnpike you could tune in to an fm station that um was partnered with AAA, and they would get you hyped for everything at disney world and i know there was also a radio station once you got on property and you can't find histories of that on the internet but I guess I must be like one of three people that remember this, this radio station between the information center and the turnpike. And I distinctively remember Jiminy Cricket letting all the parents know that if it started raining in Florida and they needed to turn their wipers on, they also needed to turn on their headlights (laughs) because that was Florida law. So you and I are the two 
out of the three because we too also <laughs> drove from New Jersey every year. And kids, there was a time that you did not have your switch and your phone and your video games like you had each other's company and books and this thing called the radio. And it was a big deal because it did sort of mark the delineation of like, okay, like we're really getting close. And I specifically remember, God, I can see myself in the back of the station wagon, like leaning over the the giant um the bench seat, right? The front seat used to be like a bench seat and I could lean over and sit in the front seat. I want to start to cry and turning on the, the AM radio when you got on property and had that sort of, you know, five and a half mile drive from, from when you first entered property and you had this, uh, this AM station telling you about the park hours and what was going on and what to expect. And like, that's it. Like, that's how you knew that you had officially arrived. And I can, Kendall, I can hear it as if it was as if it was yesterday. Yep, definitely a fond memory of driving. I pity all the poor people who had to fly straight through and miss right? out. Right, you them. guys missed out on so much. Um, I am going to bring us back onto property and specifically to call it what you remember, whether it be the Disney Village, the Lake Buena Vista Village, the Disney Village Marketplace, whatever it was, because here. They had a number of different shops uh, that and experiences that I almost not that I can't believe in a wild way, but there are some things that are just a little curious. And I'm going to go through a couple of the stores and experiences in the Disney Village to see if you remember seeing or in some cases shopping. Uh, at any of these locations. Because again, I talked about in Liberty Square, you had the perfume store, you had a silversmith store, you had an antique store, which were odd but appropriate for the location. But in the Disney Village, you had a store called Kane, Wicker, Rattan, and Sons, where you can buy a Wicker rickshaw, a Rattan gazebo, (laughs) or Kane-backed rocking chairs at this store that was located near the port of entry. Uh, again, I don't think this is necessarily what people were going, this type of souvenirs they wanted to bring back. But the idea of the Disney Village, too, was not just meant to be for the guests who were going to be visiting Walt Disney World, but for the residential community that was originally supposed to be located uh, now you know where Saratoga Springs is. And again, I know we've talked about this in the past, too, but there were meant to be residences in Walt Disney World, and that's where you would come to do some of your shopping, not just for your, you know, food and beverages, but some of your home goods as well. Uh, There was also Posh Pets, where you could buy lived animals and and wow, yeah, right. So you could buy like an and I, I did a little bit more research on this. At one point, they sold things like albino skunks there a lot of accessories and i understood the idea of if you brought your pet with you or you live there they had pet grooming there as well uh, i did not again understand the idea of let's go to walt disney world let's come home with a pet skunk but hey to each his own <laughs> there was also another antique store uh, located near the port of entry and, and a store called toledo arts called van otto's antiques 
And Otto Rabbi was actually one of the antique buyers for the old world antique shop in the Magic Kingdom. And here was sort of a, a second store under his own name that he had with, again, like a French chateau dining set. There was walking sticks and mirrors and grandfather clocks and children bedroom sets. Not, and I know I'd be so curious to know how much of these were actually sold there as opposed to it being more of an attraction. Like, segue, Jessica's of Hollywood. Now, Jessica's of Hollywood, you may remember for the sign, because the Jessica is the actual Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And the sign for Pleasure Island um, in, in the early 90s actually had this huge Jessica with this if you think of sort of like a Las Vegas type sign, she had this moving leg that was in neon that was eventually placed in the Pleasure Island site, in the Pleasure Island sign. But the Jessicas of Hollywood, the name is a take on Fredericks of Hollywood. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. As were the items that were located. There was a lingerie store (laughs) in Pleasure Island. Listen, Pleasure Island was a very... It was a very, I want to say this appropriately, and tell, you know, Pleasure Island was, was a place for adults to go and enjoy themselves. And I guess if you felt that you needed to bring home something a little fancy for the evening, Jessica's of Hollywood was a place to get it. I, I suppose that makes more sense than the Wizard of Bras on Main Street in <laughs> Disneyland. I mean, it's place in Pleasure Island at least seems a little more appropriate than Main Street of Disneyland. You know, and, and I, my my recollection of the store, I probably never walked into it because I was just too embarrassed, but I do remember the sign, right? Because I, I remember the, the giant, the, the giant sign and, and that sort of pinkish or purple neon that surrounded it and had this, you know, the leg that, um, uh, that, that swung back and forth. And it was up against this, this building that had, um, like pained huge walls of, of, of pained glass in it. Um, there was also a barbershop there. Uh, there was also a place called the captain's tower that had, uh, it was a location for special events. Uh, it became later the characters kids tower. Then it became Disney pin traders to give you a sense of where it is back in 2002. But back in 1977, you were actually able to go and meet Darth Vader. Like they had a special thing going on in late 1977 where you could actually go and meet Darth Vader in, well, it wasn't Disney, downtown Disney, but in Disney Village at that time. That's interesting. Sort of pre... The impetus of the the Pre-Star Wars weekend, yeah. Well, I just have, I think, just one more that comes from outside the parks. And we all know and love Walt Disney World Resort television, especially Must Do Disney with Stacy. But if you think back really hard, you might remember there was another host before Stacy. And her name was Krissa. Oh my god, Krissa. And she, she I don't think she was around for very long. I I don't know, maybe a 
maybe one or two vacations, I remember seeing Krissa. And I actually remember thinking when Stacy first came around, I thought, what happened to Krista and who is this girl? <laughs> but now obviously we all have come to love Stacy. But yes, it's hard to imagine that there was ever a, a different host other than Stacy. I forgot about that. I forgot about Krista. Um and, and and you're right. I mean Stacy um has just become such a, a staple of resort TV. I actually interviewed Stacy back on show 234 and she's like the nicest, sweetest <laughs> Uh, person you'll you'll ever meet but i yeah i forgot about chris i don't think chris was there very long yeah and i think actually that I, I went back and i did find a youtube video with her and that year the number one of the must-sees was mission space so that kind of gives you a timeline of when mission space was brand new when chris was host of um i just have a couple of other quick little outside the park mentions um do you remember did you ever get a chance to take part in the Richard Petty driving experience located on the Walt Disney World Speedway. I, I did not purpose personally ever try, but I remember seeing the cars on the track and driving past. And Yeah, they, um, there was a, uh, they had a, a Richard Petty driving experience. They also had an Indy racing experience. Um, the, the track opened in late 1995. They actually held a couple of actual races there. I actually, Participated in the driving experience twice as a passenger, not a driver. I never felt comfortable enough to do it. Um, I'm not a big like race car fan, uh, but I will tell you it was one of the most unique and exhilarating. Okay, a little bit scary experience because you were flying around that track. Um, unfortunately, the, the speedway did close in August of 2005. There was a um a, a guest um fatality on there um for a, a guest who was driving one of the cars um one of the other ones it's it's not one of those things that i i think can't believe ever happened in Walt Disney World but i but for some reason i i thought this was something that was really cool that i got a chance to do once but do you remember when you could swim with the sharks in Typhoon Lagoon at the old shark reef uh, this I did a couple of times, and I remember it not necessarily because of being able to swim with the sharks, but just how cold the water <laughs> really was. Um, but you could. I think you had to be, you know, nine or ten years old in order to do it. And there was this uh, ten feet deep, like, enclosure um, that it was a saltwater enclosure where you could, you know, go and swim, and they gave you snorkels and masks. And then you get into the tank with the sharks and there was obviously you know instructors and stuff there but it was super cold super beautiful and obviously i think that i think this closed gosh probably seven eight years ago um somewhere as well but it was super something that was really memorable to be able to do uh, and the last thing i have the last two things i have are actually uh current um i still can't believe i still that you can buy a house in Walt Disney World. Again, that house, you can live in Walt Disney World if you can afford Golden Oak. I'm a podcaster. I can drive by Golden Oak. That's about as close as I can get. And I still can't believe of all the weird, wacky, freaky things I've seen at Walt Disney World, how are those creepy nanny chairs still sitting in the lobby of the boardwalk? <laughs> because those things freak me to freak out. If you've been to the lobby of the boardwalk... 
go over over by the fireplace, and they're called nanny chairs, and they're chairs that actually used to be found on carousels so that uh, adults could sit there while their children rode on the carousel horses. These were actually the reproductions of ones that were um, uh, originals from like the late 1800s and the 1880s. Uh, and if you look on the backs of them, I won't tell you what the names are, but there's actually names of Imagineers on the back. Uh, but they're super, super creepy. Um, and they are the stuff of nightmares. And I'm saying this half jokingly because I think they're they're fun and funny. But look, Kennel, there are clearly a lot of things over the years that that are subjectively for us things that we can't believe ever happened in Walt Disney World. I think there are people who will probably agree with some. I'm sure there's some people who are like, hey, Michael Iceberg and Splash Tacular were my two favorite things ever in Walt Disney World, and that is the beauty of these parks. I think there's also some probably things that we missed along the way, like Mangello. How did you not talk about this attraction i'm gonna you know kick myself but we we tried to be as comprehensive as possible but i'm sure there are things we missed i want to know from you what is your in your opinion is the weirdest wackiest thing that you cannot believe you ever saw personally or know was there or experienced at Walt Disney World you can email me lou at www.radio.com we will talk about this in the clubhouse that is the group over on Facebook if you go to www.radio.com slash group I will post this question there or you can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 and share your memory with me on the air Kendall anyone for you that sort of sticks out as just like Ay, like how, what were they thinking with this? Well, a lot of them are really a product of their time. So, I mean, looking back, maybe the Frontierland stunt show is like, wow, how did that happen? But if you look at it at the time, it's it's believable. But I think I got to go with the, the the Daredevil Circus. That is, it's just so out of place in Epcot. And it's just crazy to imagine that any of that happened. Yeah, and, and how many of those things like that could could ever um, even happen today? Um, whether it was a Daredevil Circus Spectacular or, you know, the, the Goosebumps <laughs> Dick Tracy Diamond Double Cross show. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts and memories and, uh, and let us know some of the ones that we missed. Again, Kendall, we have talked about Extinct Walt Disney World. The studio backlot in Burbank that never was. I know we have a couple of other ideas for some stuff that we want to do. And you have uh, you have uh, also written a number of amazing articles over at the WW Radio blog as well. I will link to your author page there. Uh, thank you for being here. I'm excited for what we have to cover next on the show. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me again. If you could bring back any one of these extinct weird things over the years which one would you bring back to the park oh that's a good question uh, actually you know what i looking over my list i think i have to go with one that we forgot to mention the mile long bar welcome to the mile long bar oh because i just have fleeting i have fleeting memories of it and i i wish i could go back and get my mug of cold cider in the mile long bar when it was at one point sponsored by both, it, it was sponsored by Pepsi and Frito-Lay because at one point Pepsi and Coke were 
concurrent sponsors in the park. And I do remember there were the mirrors on both ends of the bar. So if you look down, it looked like the bar was a mile long. Yeah, and Buff and Max and Melvin. I wouldn't bring back Splashtacular per se, but I would love to see another daytime show on the Lagoon and World Showcase, which I think will eventually come back. Not sure I want to see Although the World, show- World Showcase doesn't have any trouble packing in the people, so. No. <laughs> I wouldn't mind a little reunion, you know, concert by Michael Iceberg. He's still out there. He has a Facebook page. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or just see how well you pay attention to the details in which you see, hear, or remember. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via our online form for a chance to win a Disney Prize package. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week was pretty simple and straightforward. Well, maybe not simple, but it was pretty straightforward because I asked you to tell me where in Walt Disney World you've heard this phrase, and I'm doing somewhat of radio voice as I say, this is KNRG News Radio. Hey, let's check the weather report and see if it's going to stay way cool outside. Now, the answer was basically in the question because the call letters for the radio station are KNRG or KNRGY, And thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew, of course, that it was Universe of Energy slash Ellen's Energy Adventure slash Ellen's Energy Crisis. Anything that, if it had the word energy in it, chances are I took it. And if you're wondering where and when you heard this in the attraction, when Bill Nye and Ellen are up in the helicopter and they're going through time, you actually hear the radio announcer do a voiceover a number of different times, including K-Energy News Time, 55 million B.C., Now for a look at our weather, Willard, it goes on and on. Again, really, really a bad impression. I should just play the sound clip for you here. But anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one. And again, last week you were playing for all of my digital products, which is my 102 ways to save money for that Walt Disney World book. All seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the history, secrets, and stories of Magic Kingdom both of which, by the way, you still can find for just $10 each at www.radio.com. And I'm also going to send you a brand new WW Radio mug, which is not available in stores or anywhere else other than my dining room table. So again, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one. And last week's winner is Ariana Hayes from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I have your shipping address. I will get your prize package at you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week, October 1st, is Walt Disney World's 49th birthday slash anniversary, and it got me to thinking about opening day in Walt Disney World, specifically Magic Kingdom. And so your question this week is to tell me how many attractions were there in Fantasyland on Walt Disney World's opening day on October 1st, 1971. All you need to do is tell me the number. If you want to list them out, that's fine, too. How many attractions were there in Fantasyland on Walt Disney World's opening day, October 1st, 1971? You have until Sunday, October 4th at 11.59 p.m. 
To go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast. There you'll find the online form. Once again, you are playing for all seven of my virtual audio walking tours, my 102 ways to save money for that Walt Disney World book, and a brand spanking new WW Radio mug. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I know that your time is your most valuable commodity, and I appreciate you sharing it with me, with us. Speaking of us, please continue to be part of the community and conversation by going to www.radio.com slash community. Find out how you can join the conversation in our Facebook group. Watch and chat every Wednesday night on Facebook Live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com. Speaking of which, this Thursday, October 1st, is Walt Disney World's anniversary slash birthday. I will be live from Magic Kingdom. Be sure and turn on notifications on the WW Radio page and on the WW Radio Facebook group so you do not miss a thing. I may or may not have a few surprises in store as well. I'd love to hear from you, connect with you. You can always email me, lou at www.radio.com. If you have a question, something you want me to answer on the show, call the voicemail. Be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WW1. Call in with a question, a comment. If you're in Walt Disney World, call from the parks and say hi. Or weigh in on this week's show. Share one of your favorite or most bizarre memories of something that you experienced in Walt Disney World. I'd also love to connect with you on social. I am at Lou Mangello on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And I promise, look, I miss you incredibly. You know I am a handshake and a hug type of guy. Obviously, things have not been able to happen, but I promise when things open up in that safe way again, we will get back to doing our monthly meetups in Walt Disney World and other special events that I have been planning for a long, long time that are currently on hold. However, our Marvel Day at Sea Cruise this January, fingers crossed, we are sailing out of Miami this January for a five-night Marvel Day at Sea Cruise. Go to www.radio.com slash Marvel Cruise to find out more and get a free, no-obligation quote. And huge, huge thanks to the new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation family. I, as always, appreciate your help and your support and I love being able to give back to you each and every month with rewards and surprises and trivia quests and more I want to thank some of the new members who've joined some of the hundreds of you who are longtime members of the nation family including Brady Weisgerber, Christina Lids, D. Hart and Melissa Fisher if you want to find out how you can help the show and get exclusive rewards every month including monthly scavenger hunts and trivia quests we have a private Facebook group magic band covers, logo gear t-shirts, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, exclusive live video group calls, and more, including some new rewards coming soon. Stay tuned for the announcement. Visit www.radio.com slash support. Don't forget that you can start at as little as a dollar a month. It's completely optional, but a great way to help show your support for WW Radio. And don't forget to, more importantly, the portion of the proceeds of your contributions go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. As always, I am incredibly thankful and and grateful to you for the opportunity and really the life that you've given me. So I'd love to be able to pay it forward and help you any way that I can. So if you have a 
blog, podcast, show, book, idea, dream, whatever it might be, and are looking for some help and accountability, I'd love to help you turn what you love into what you do and work together with one-on-one video calls or weekly mastermind groups. To learn more, you can visit loumangelo.com or just shoot me an email, lou at www.radio.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Thanks as always. Again, this show couldn't happen without your love and support, just, just as it couldn't happen without the love and support of our friends over at Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official, my recommended travel provider. I think we understand now more than ever the importance of having a trusted travel agency in your corner with you and behind you. Every step of the way from planning to during and after your vacation, you can visit mousefantravel.com for a free no obligation quote and really an incredible level of caring personal service. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, gosh, you have, have you really shown that? We are friends, whether we have met yet or not. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Tell a friend, tweet out that you're listening, share it on social. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. It is incredibly helpful. I'd love to thank some recent reviewers like MovieFan777 from Canada who says, I'm learning so much. After our first ever visit to Walt Disney World in early 2020, I wanted to learn more about the history of the parks. And that's when I found WW Radio. The history comes through during fun interviews and conversations with creative topics and themes. If you're looking to grow your passion for all things Disney, then this is a podcast for you. Chris M116 says, This is the thing that Disney dreams are made of. I love Lou and the joy he spreads through the podcast. It's well put together. My favorite podcast by far. And Jeff says, This is the best there is. I've been listening to Lou for more than a year. Thank goodness you can go back and listen to old episodes. I'm up to 321 and started from the beginning. I had the pleasure of meeting Lou a while back. He's genuinely the guy you hear. Thank you. Nothing compares to WW Radio. And as listen, as the song says, nothing compares to you. Thanks to you and everybody who has left a review. Again, just search for WW Radio in Apple Podcasts or if you go to www.radio.com slash iTunes, it'll give you instructions right there. Finally, most importantly, again, I am overwhelmed and and have been literally overcome with emotion based on everything that you individually and as a community have done since the passing of my mom. I want to thank my good friend Lisa Donato Glasner once again for starting this movement and you for the incredible fundraising that you've done, but more importantly, the power of community and family that you have demonstrated. It is going to go a long way, not just to change my life, but more importantly, the lives of those four soon to be five families that are going to have their real wishes come true by being able to go and visit Walt Disney World. I know it's hard to believe that I've been speechless, but I have been, but this is about you. And I want to just tell you how important you are, how special you are, how you have literally changed lives and are leaving and creating such a positive impact and more importantly, a positive ripple in this world. I am proud. I am humbled. I am grateful. And my heart is full. I love you. I appreciate you. And God, I hope that this really is your best week ever. And if there's any way that I can show my gratitude and say thank you to you, please reach out and let me know. I hope to see you and be able to say thank you again and again and again live this week on Wednesday night and again on Thursday. So until next time, see ya. Hello, Lou Mangiello. This is Victoria Gist 
from Danbury, Connecticut. First time caller, long time listener. I can't believe actually that I'm finally calling in, but I just loved your new series on things you can't believe ever happened in Walt Disney World. It really is the weird things that kind of stick with you. And I really can't wait to hear you dive into Disney Hollywood Studios next time, or as I will always consider it, MGM Studios. Um, where my favorite thing I can't believe I ever experienced at Disney was, which was the Ace Ventura Pet Detective live in action. I must be the only person I know who actually liked that. But I just, uh, little Victoria could have just told you that it was absolutely Jim Carrey right in front of her. I thought it was the neatest thing to actually experience live on the streets of Disney's Hollywood Studios. So I can't wait to hear what else you pull out for next week. Uh, looking forward to it. Thanks for all your hard work. Hi, Lou. This is Jim O'Neill from Michigan, formerly New Jersey. And with the pandemic going on, I'm way behind in my podcast, so I'm trying to catch up. I have a little bit of a drive today. And I just wanted to wish you uh, congratulations, uh, belated a little bit, on the 600th episode. And uh, just tell you how uh, thankful I am that uh, I found your podcast many years ago and uh, brought me together with some good friends and uh, got to meet you a few times and uh, got us on three cruises, the um, Richard Sherman cruise, the Ridley Pearson cruise, and the Alaska cruise in 2018. And we're looking forward to uh, some more adventures with you guys. So uh, keep it up, all the good work, and congratulations again. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison from Flowertown, Pennsylvania. It's Sunday morning. Hopefully everybody's having a good morning so far. It's early. It's only 8 o'clock, but it's a beautiful, sunny, cool day here in Pennsylvania. It's 54 degrees. I wanted to call in about the pick of the week. So I watched Treasure Planet. Um, it was the only one on the list that I hadn't seen. So I sat down and watched it, and I really enjoyed it. It definitely reminded me of a bunch of different movies put together. So it reminded me of Pirates of the Caribbean. It reminded me of Lilo and Stitch with all the strange-looking aliens. And then all the galaxies and planets and um, strange-looking creatures reminded me of Star Wars. So it was very interesting. Uh, I enjoyed it. I really, um, I liked Ben. He was funny. And um, anyway, that's my take on the pick of the week. And everybody have a great day. Hopefully you're all going to do something fun. Meatloaf and mashed potatoes tonight because it's a cool day and my son's been asking for it. So I'm going to work on that. Have a great day, everybody. Make someone smile. I'll see you Wednesday night in the box. Bye. And care.